Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we are going to be looking at a clip of Jordan Peterson in his recent Q&A. I believe it was his March Q&A. We'll have a link down in the show description. Um, he was asked a, what he called a simple question, uh, like something like to you, what, what is a soul to you? So um, after thinking about it for a few seconds, one of those Jordan Peterson silences, uh, he gave his answer. So we're going to be uh, playing that clip and commenting on it because he says a lot that is interesting. So uh, that said, why don't we just start the clip and uh, we'll go from there. Like theologically, a soul is that aspect of the human, that aspect of human being that's akin to divinity, that's made in the image of God. And so, and I, I think that that's a very, very important concept. I don't think a society can survive. I don't think that you can survive a relationship with yourself. I don't think you can have a relationship with another person. And I don't think a society can organize itself in a productive and sustainable and peaceful manner without that idea as the core idea. And so the core idea is that there's something of irreducible value that characterizes each human being and that it's of the highest value, which is what makes it, say, akin to God or akin to divinity. And so that's the soul. And then the question is maybe how does that manifest itself in the world? So what are its what are its hallmarks and i would say that that's very tightly associated with what modern people describe as consciousness and there's more to it than consciousness because it's also character but i would say character is a manifestation of consciousness what consciousness does as far as i can tell is confront unformed potential this is partly why I think it's improper. I'm writing a fair bit about this right now in my new book, why it's improper to think of people as deterministic. You're deterministic once you've established a habit and you've practiced something for a very long period of time. You, you become more deterministic in your actions because you're expert at reacting. And there's neurological, neurophysiological circuits that are laid down to facilitate your action under those conditions and to run with some degree of automaticity. But most of the time, much of the time, what you confront is the changing future, the, 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 the future of potential, right? And it's, it's, like a, it's like a place of multiple pathways. And your consciousness is that part of you that confronts those multiple pathways and decides which one to walk down. And it does so according to its ethic. We talked earlier about the fact that you need a value hierarchy. It's inevitable that you have a value hierarchy and that you look at the world through it and that it should be well-structured and that there should be something of divine importance at the top. I would say what should occupy the top position is the realization, for example, that each person is of divine value and that the most appropriate way of interacting with potential is by embodying and speaking the truth. That's not a bad way of 
briefly conceptualizing what might be at the highest pinnacle of the value structure. I would say that's what the logos is. And so the soul is a, the soul is what manifests itself in the choice between different pathways, in, in the choice between different ways of transforming the potential of the future into the actuality of the present. And it does that by making ethical decisions, by choosing between good and evil at each choice point. And to the degree that it chooses good, then it takes the raw potential of the future and it transforms it into the being of the present that is good. And to the degree that it does that in a manner that's evil and contaminated by malevolence and hatred and vengefulness, then it takes a pathway that corrupts the world and makes things worse. And it's the soul that's doing that. And it's the soul that's responsible for that. And it's also that active part of the soul that's shaping the deeper soul in some sense, which would be something like the cumulative consequence of all those choices, something akin to what people more classically have referred to as character. Now, I don't know what to say really about the metaphysics of the soul, except that it's very mysterious that we have this capacity for consciousness, which is completely, um, I would say, beyond our current understanding. We have no good reductionist accounts of consciousness, except those put forward to deny the very existence of something like consciousness and free will. And the problem I have with those arguments is that, well, the first thing is that you don't look deterministic until you've built habit sets. And that's a consequence of consciousness because consciousness builds habit sets. And the second is that it doesn't seem to me possible to organize a relationship with yourself or an intimate partner or a family or a community without the concept of the divine value of the individual and the capacity of that divine spark, let's say, to manifest itself in free will. I don't see how societies can organize themselves without those principles. And to me, that indicates that there's something about them that's profoundly true. Now, you know, we all have our definitions of what constitutes sufficient proof for truth, but I think that's powerful. Those are, those are two powerful arguments. So the, it's hard to say what the soul means metaphysically because, you know, say beyond the, cons, beyond the confines of a single human being, we do have this sense that the soul can expand itself into something that's greater than well, greater than it has been. It has this capacity for growth. And we do have the sense that the soul can expand itself to the point where it it's enlightened, for lack of a better word, that it's working as efficiently as possible to transform everything that's unnecessarily painful and malevolent about the world into what's positive and good. And, and, and that it does that as a consequence of confronting the world with courage and truth. And I, I think that's right. And I do think that that means that the soul participates in something eternal, which is the attempt of being itself to transform what's unnecessarily painful and malevolent into what's good. And that human beings actually do participate in that. And that that's part of the reason that our ancient tradition 
insists that we're made in the image of God. And I think that it's a mistake to underestimate the importance of that because I don't think that you can live life, a life of sufficient profundity to protect yourself from being corrupted by suffering and malevolence without adopting a responsibility that's commensurate with that set of ideas. I think that you either orient yourself upward, you know, to the star above the horizon and try desperately to improve the structure of being or you work at counter purposes to it and make things worse. I don't think there's a middle ground. In fact, to the degree there is a middle ground, it tilts towards the negative because people who try to occupy the middle ground um, try to generally try to accrue the benefit, let's say, without adopting any of the risk. And that's not acceptable, not helpful. So that's a soul to me. And uh, I guess I would say one more thing about that. A soul is also the center of the world, which is a frightening proposition and, and not one that's easily comprehensible. Solzhenitsyn's work in the Gulag Archipelago is particularly enlightening in this regard um, because he insisted that it was a pre preconception of our Judeo-Christian heritage that each person was a center of the cosmos. And you can think of that as a center of consciousness, right? A center from which being itself is not only reflected, but also generated. And it was Solzhenitsyn's belief and Dostoevsky's as well. And, and I think Jung would have been in accordance with this and Nietzsche as well, for that matter, that in some manner that we don't fathom because we don't understand the structure of the world very well, the outcome of the world is dependent on our choices and, and equally on all of our choices. And it, I don't understand, I know, that's, I know that to be true, I feel that to be true. It's, it's part of the doctrine that each person is of intrinsic and equal worth part of that doctrine is that each person is has intrinsic and equal responsibility and that we're each capable of generating a fair bit of hell around us and for other people, but also capable of generating a tremendous amount of good and that the fate of the world as it careens through eternity is actually a consequence of the ethical decisions of each of us. It's a terrifying idea. It's no wonder people flee from it into hedonism, let's say, and, and ideology, because it's very frightening possibility that the choices that you make day to day or fail to make have this profound and lasting effect on the structure of reality. But I don't really see any way out of that conclusion. Mm. We were actually going to pause it and talk, but didn't because you really need the like the whole the whole thing to the whole thought to complete i think before before you can really dig into it so now, now that we've got the complete thought let's dig into it um he uh, peterson brings up like several interesting points there and um 
So he basically gives his description of what he thinks the soul is as like the, as he puts it, like the image of God and like intimately connected with consciousness and character, which, which arises out of consciousness. And then a description of, you know, how he perceives consciousness to act in the world. And, um, but then, you know, he says he's not quite sure how to think about that metaphysically. Like what is the, what is the, like the, the, the true description, the true account of the nature of, you know, the soul of consciousness. And I think he does a, a pretty good job of, of getting there. You know, he, like, you know, he'd himself admit he doesn't have a comprehensive, like, uh, you know, philosophical system, like metaphysical system to think about all these things and in which to place them. It's, uh, he kind of, but he still manages to, to grasp like some really important truths, even if, uh, even if he's lacking that kind of, um, you know, that overarching framework, you know, in which to place all the pieces. So maybe we can do a little bit of that. Maybe just starting with, uh, something that he said at the end there mm-hmm. um, about the each soul being like the center of the world and what that might mean. First, I want to go back to the show we had last week um, on Bernardo, Bernardo Castrup's article on information realism. He had another article that he published in Scientific American because he's got like, you know, several blog posts on there. And uh, we've got this one up on SOT too. And it's on multiple personality disorder and the some of the kind of implications of of that for philosophy really because uh there have been studies done recently on multiple personality disorder where they've shown that like the that it is it is a real thing right because for for a long time people have even been skept, skeptical that it actually exists that uh you know the people claiming to have alter personalities are acting or just making it up or something like that but they've actually done um Brain, uh, brain scans on some some of these individuals, like some who have alters who are blind, you know, so at one time, um, an alter will be, you know, running the show and won't be able to see. And they've done brain scans to show that they're like, their visual cortexes aren't lighting up at all. It's as if they're not getting like the visual information. Once the transition happens and, the, and a, a, a sighted alter comes in, that stuff happens again. So from the person's experience, they're experiencing, um, they're not experiencing visual uh, information. They're not ex- ex- experiencing vision. And then when a new alter comes in, they are. And that is pretty remarkable when you think about it. Not like not that remarkable when you consider that phenomena like this have been known forever. Um, I mean, it was used to be called hysteria, hysterical illnesses like a, a, an hysterical blindness or, um, you know, an hysterical like uh, lack of ability to use a certain limb or something like that. Like uh, these phenomena have been around forever, but uh, but the idea that uh, you know a single consciousness, as we think about it, a single person can like be or or a simple body can be inhabited by multiple consciousnesses um, that that are related in some way. Because if you think about it, even if there's multiple consciousnesses, there has to be an like a an overarching principle um, in order to coordinate all those consciousnesses, right? They can't all they can't all express themselves at the same time. You know, there's a an order in in which they they come about, and it's usually motivated for um, like a particular contextual reason, like emotional reason. Um, you know, in this situation, this alter is needed. Um, it's the best for for this situation. So there's even even within the the multiplicity of like uh, MPD or DID, there's an overarching uh, unity that seems to coordinate and uh, and unify to some degree these phenomena. Like there is communication, so to say, between um, the alters on an unconscious level. 
and coordination of um, you know how they do this. But anyways, the reason Castro brings this up is to to um, expand on his idea of um, idealism or the you know the ideal that uh, that mind is fundamental and pretty much everything in reality. And th- this is the idea that dissociated consciousnesses can exist within one larger consciousness. So he's using this to as an account for what we perceive as the the multiplicity of beings in the world. So if um, um, if there is one mind, you know, the the mind of the universe, how is it that we perceive and experience ourselves as individual minds? Well, his basic his basic idea is that um, is that we are essentially, or every consciousness and every unit of consciousness in the universe is essentially a dissociated bit of the larger um, universal mind, and that uh, that will kind of that will account for the multiplicity, as well as the the like uh, you know the, the unity and the particularity of each individual mind, and this will also this can also account for what they call the combination problem in in philosophy it's like and and it applies specifically to panpsychist theories where every individual bit is conscious so if you have conscious atoms um, it's then your responsibility to explain how like a molecule is then conscious and how uh, an animal or you know a cell is conscious and an animal is conscious and a human is consciousness how do those little bits of consciousness combine to make a bigger consciousness well um Kastrup or someone like him might say that you can't really answer that question because that it's it's magical and mysterious. It, you can't. There's no uh, no reasonable like rational account for how that could happen. But if you look at it as if like if every individual bit, uh, like uh, every individual mind is a, a dissociated fragment of a larger mind, and then when you get like a combination of those, like a combination of cells which has its own unifying mind, you know, directing that organism as a whole and uh, which we experience as one being, like when I experience other people, I see them as one being and not as um, like a uh, like a combination of billions of of cells. I see them as one being. That the uh, Whitehead would say that's for a reason is because you are seeing one being. There is something unifying that being, um, which is the mind or the soul. And um, so so minds are phys- like physical bodies or what we perceive as physical bodies as as um, minds with uh, with physicality are themselves composed of all kinds of tiny fragments of mind, and they themselves, the individual part of yourself, is it is also a fragment of a larger mind. And all minds are essentially fragments of, uh, like dissociated fragments of an even larger mind. So um, I thought about that in terms of what he was, what Peterson's saying about about the soul, each soul, each consciousness being the center of the world. Because and this comes back to the first idea he gave as the as the soul as being that which is in the image of God, and um, the way I've always thought about that is like a fractal, you know, or uh, you've got one part that is like uh, essentially a, essentially a, a representation of the whole, or you know, a part of the whole. It is in one sense it is the whole, um, but you've got multiple holes um, that are in some in some sense the same as the. The, the the ultimate it's like um you know so it, it's like one mind divides itself into you know countless fragments and then experiences itself through those fragments um but at the same time with an awareness of all those fragments um it's kind of a crazy far out idea but it's uh it might just be true so i think that um 
that uh, there's a lot to be a lot to be gotten out of that idea of the the individual mind as a kind of a, a fractal fragment of the the larger mind. So there, that's why when you're looking at consciousness, that um, you know some kind of analogies can be made. You can learn about you can learn about yourself by looking at so-called lower organisms. You can also learn about higher uh, minds by looking at your own mind or by lower organisms and you know any combination because there will be principles that are the same at every level because it's like a fractal you know the, that one mind is a is in some sense um, not necessarily a representation but a um, you know I don't know a fractal of that higher mind there will be analogies to be made there will be similarities to be made there will also be differences just like there are, you know there are differences between a, a human and a proton but there will be very basic similarities at all levels. So we can actually learn something about um, mind in general, and therefore about like the cosmos in general, and like, and hypothetically the cosmic mind in general, by looking at the particularities. And, um, and lo looking at it in such a way, um, I find kind of um, can open up, um, open up understanding, like you can understand more about the, like the physical world, and like the atomic world, Thinking about things in this in these terms, just as you can learn more about yourself by looking at the atomic world, mm -hmm. and uh, so I think that's just one of the one of the more kind of um, like philosophical implications of this question. Um, but of course, there are more. Like Peterson gets into the actual, like he always does, to the actual practicalities of it in real life experience and and uh, the the creation of relationships and um, <laughs> and the creation of societies. So we could probably take any of those directions. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, in, in addition to, you know, this kind of fractal uh, example and analogy you gave Harrison, what he seems to be doing is in acknowledging that we as individuals um, have souls or should act as though we have souls, uh, that we should acknowledge the existence of souls within other individuals. So there, there's also this idea that we, that we, should be if we're doing our jobs if we're taking responsibility look just adjacent to us and um and in thinking about how we behave towards others and structure our societies and our relationships uh keeping in mind that that the person right next to us is also a a part of or a representation of um or a fragment of uh, a, a larger soul, but is a but is a soul in and of themselves, and and that there, that there should be a kind of a uh, a reverence, a a respect for, a value of um, the these individuals that we're surrounded by. That that as he said, you know, we could make their lives a heaven or a, or a hell, um, and and that seems to be. I mean, how often do you hear about someone discussing uh, the structuring of society um, around the idea that we are souls? Um, who who isn't a, uh, a religious leader uh, or a priest or a rabbi or an imam? Um, and yet he's putting it in very practical terms. Um, and I love what he said towards the end. He said that transforming what's painful and malevolent into the world into something good uh, is a responsibility 
that our responsibility is commensurate with understanding that we have this potential through our choices to, to have a transformative effect on others that we're surrounded by. And the whole world. And the whole world. And that when you really get that, when you, when you understand that our, uh, our day-to-day choices have this uh, capability, even among the mundane things that, we're, um, that are in front of us to do, uh, it, it really puts our, um, our awareness of ourselves and how we think and, and what we feel into a whole different context because it's, it's very easy to fall into a default uh, emotional, reactive, um, destructive mode of being uh, that, that causes the same in others, that feeds the worst impulses and thoughts and, and, uh, and um, nature of human beings who uh, aren't thinking of what is the best uh, for, for everyone involved, what is the most... Um, what is the most uh, kind of salutary decision that could be made on behalf of uh, others and myself in a particular situation? Um, you know, this is, this is, I think, the, the work of, of uh, confronting the multiple pathways according to a value hierarchy that he talks about. Um, so it needn't always feel like a life or death decision, but to make the distinctions, uh, to stop and, and pause and consider how what we do or don't do um, perhaps um, feeds into a, a, maybe an apathetic um, a state of mind for another person as opposed to a, a kind of shared um, concern, a shared um, willingness to make things better. Uh, this is what we're being asked to face, I think, and it, through Peterson's understanding of of what it means to be sold or or to act as if one has a soul. Right. It's uh, what does he he say? He says that he he feels that it's true that every choice that we make has he can't impact. see how it's not true. He can't see how it's not true. He feels that it's true, and I mean, I think a lot of people. I mean, when you're faced with that that feeling it is uh that i think it is in and of itself part of the the soul that's calling you you know the uh that that feeling that it is true that your choices are matter beyond that anything you could ever imagine and that it's kind of answering that call and 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 checking yourself i guess you could say uh and reorienting yourself according to those values that is the that's the painful thing that he met he points out that it, it's obvious why it's not very many people um devote themselves you know wholeheartedly to the kind of life that he has devoted himself to you know his uh, but his his sacrifice of those parts of him which uh were holding him back all the parts that were you know entropic and you know angry resentful everything that we all have that are all parts of this collective mind i guess you could say it's a part of us that we that we all share 
to some degree. Some of us share more in it than others, but we all have the same struggle. That's at the center of our human world, at least, the center of the human experience that we all share, this struggle against the lower in favor of the higher. And I love how he points out that characters like the crystallized appearance, the crystallized reality of this struggle, of all the choices that you've made uh, for good or ill, uh, or your ignorance, choices just made out of complete ignorance, which is why I think high on the on the value hierarchy should be the belief that lacking objective knowledge makes you a tool at best. Basically, objective knowledge, without that, you can't know whether you're making the choice for the good mm-hmm. or for the ill, for sure. And it's a learning process, too. Um, you know, that's, but just this distinction between the present and the past and the character that you've developed through the soul appearing in the choices that you make in the the multiple futures. And I think that's something that everyone faces to some degree. We all face multiple futures. And it's when we get a future we don't want that we we get, oh my gosh, everything's you know collapsing and what have I done wrong? But there are so many futures that um, you know that on any daily basis we have to prepare for. Or and we also have to choose for the ones that we want the most to manifest. And the ones that we want to manifest are those that we are drawn to by our 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 value hierarchy. And that in and of itself is um, that experience of a value hierarchy is is subjective and it and you never know it's never going to be as high probably as it or ever going to be as high as it could be you know there's obviously you look at jordan peterson you look at you know um just anybody just about anybody else and you see the difference between two people is just as great a gulf as the difference between a man and his dog you know you see the um the how a value hierarchy and acting on it, making these choices can can create uh, somebody who's in a completely different class of humanity, somebody who's able to accomplish things that most people would never even could literally never even dream of being possible. And it's all because of this this vision, this inner vision, uh, this inner hierarchy, this inner drive and this answering to that that inner drive on every, every day that creates this reality. So in that sense, I can see why he would say he feels it to be true. I mean, we all know that in some way it's true that our choices can can dramatically impact the future of you know, of not just ourselves but those around us and but then also there's another there's that other extra element where it's like he's saying that it's on a theological level that it impacts the entire creation. Like it's mm-hmm. like this is your dance with God in some sense. This is your this is your calling. What this is more important than than you, the the tiny little human you could ever understand the choices that you make. Mm-hmm. And ev- just every day, e- the tiniest to the large. And it's a and it's not you know, it's it's not easy. Obviously, you look at his life and you look at the lives of other people, but it's not that it needs to be easy. Mm-hmm. It's not that. I mean, to, I'm sure. I mean, to him, it's not. It's not even a, a question. That's that's not. That's a. That's who cares if it's easy or hard. If mm-hmm. something is easy or hard, who cares? What matters is that you're you're answering this call. That you're manifesting in some way this dance with God for better, and you're doing it the best that you can with authenticity, with integrity. And 
you know, this this is the soul in action, and and to put that into the center of your way of of interacting with other people, with interacting with life, um, with the way that you see yourself and other people. It's not something that's going to happen in many countries, I think, in, you know, in any time soon. But it's also evidence that that lack can explain a good deal of the fragmentation and darkness that people live in every day. I mean, the uh, you know sociologists have been writing for a long time, at least in America, and I mean, I'm sure they've been lamenting in other parts of the world too, especially the Western world, about the just the collapse of any sort of social civic sense of duty um you know gathering together with neighbors going to you know playing bridge with neighbors knowing your neighbors seeing your neighbors um you know joining community groups uh you know all of these things that i mean i think that were they're probably taken for granted at the time but that formed the backbone of community that you know church going to church and all of the outgrowth um that came from that that over you know the past 50 60 years that spirit has completely collapsed. And along with it, I think that, that lack of being able to communicate or being able to see other people who think differently or who, um, you know, just are out of your, you know, out of your comfort zone, seeing people out of your comfort zone, that it's difficult to communicate. It's difficult to listen to other political opinions. You don't have to. That's just a hassle. You don't have to deal with other people. You don't have to deal with the the messes that they have, and you don't have to be confronted with the mess that you bring to the table. And so it's it makes it it you know these these choices, um, these gradual choices to abandon that kind of community that that's kind of that sense where you're you're basically you, you know you're imbued. I mean, on an instinctual level, you're imbued with the worth of other people by having fun, by singing, by sharing, you know, your your stories, your you know, your trials, by giving it to other people. You you're just imbued with a sense that there is a divinity. You know, on an I think on an instinctual level, you get that sense that there is a drama happening in their lives. There's a drama that you're impacting, there's a drama that's impacting you, you know, the family, the gossip all of this larger um, lar- things that are bigger than us, you lose sight of that and you, and it's, and you just, you know, it's like life becomes so meaningless. What is, why, why, you know, why, why do anything that isn't painful or why do anything? I mean, that's, that's painful. If you, you know, it's, everything is so hard. It's so dark out there. Oh, it's me, my wobble. Ah, wah, wah. It's like, you know, it's like, as he points out, it's like this, this is how you see the world because this is, these are your ethics. This is this is your soul in some way, and the choices that you make are um, are leading you. You're oriented in in time and space, across time and space, by by your soul. It's it's leading you somewhere. And if all you're seeing is darkness, then that's probably where you're going. You know, that's I, and I think that's why I really enjoyed his speech so much, is because it's it's so. Uh, uh, it's it has a capacity to orient people in a really deep way in a real deeply felt way about you know just what's important in life you know and in a way that relieves the pressure from from you know the nihilistic kind of thought patterns that we get into and it just lifts you up and you know he just basically takes you you know, jerks your head up to the sky and says, there's an entire universe out there. Mm-hmm. Look, look around. there's so much more. You you don't have to be sunken, and that's obviously what he represents uh, in general. 
But but with this speech, he gives it um, that extra added depth that is like as he would say, like radically conservative. You know, he's pulling, he's going to the radical depths of you know our kind of Christian worldview, um, and and pointing and just and bringing that kind of just rebirthing that that sense of of meaning and importance that that probably you know is the best thing about Western culture is probably responsible for all of the good things that have resulted out of Western culture. Well, you, you mentioned that, uh, a couple times, uh, a feature of this process and that is that it is hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, well, one of the reasons it's hard is because, well, first of all, that's just the structure of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, reality isn't easy well, for various reasons, but there are, um, one of the reasons it's hard is because there are many time many many times more opportunities and ways of breaking things than there are to make them right. And this gets back to the kind of discussion we were having about information the other uh, well in last week and in previous weeks, how if there's a if there's a a total set of possibilities um, that there are in any situation, there will only be a very tiny set of, like, within that larger set of, like, optimal options. And you see this in any, any with, anywhere there's information, like from DNA. You know, you've, if you've got one protein that you need, there's a, a very tiny number of possible protein sequences that will fulfill that function or a relatively, or will get by, you know, approximating that function. And all the rest is unfit. You know, it's, it's a, it is a bullseye, a literal bullseye. It's, it's, it's shooting out into the universe and hitting a bullseye like the size of a pinhead. Like that, that is how, that is how hard, um, in mathematical terms or in probabilistic terms, these things are. Of course, it's kind of different with intelligence where you can, you can see into the future to a, a, to one degree or another. You can see, um, you can, you can limit those possibilities and say, okay, well, you know, out of the vast, the vast ocean of everything, um, I know that I've got a relatively limited set of options here. Um, so I can exclude all those other things and, and here, are the, here are the options. And even then they're hard. And I think there are two, um, the way I see it, there are two kind of main, main ways of going wrong in this entire like, um, you know, um, dance of consciousness in the, in the universe, in the cosmos. And you can, so I'm going to look at it in terms of like uh, the, the religious error and the atheistic error. Because you can go in any system, you can go wrong. You can be religious and go wrong. You can be atheistic and go and go wrong. Or you can be atheistic and go right in some ways, and be religious and, and go right in some ways. So, but I want to look at how how it might go wrong. In the atheistic sense, that is that is um, like the nihilism that Peterson talks about so often. The the idea that there is no meaning, that other people don't have value. Maybe you, you yourself don't have value. And on a very deep level, a very basic level, this is a lie. You're denying something. Uh, true about the universe. You are introducing a lie into your own life and into your interactions with the world. And that can lead to, well, that does lead to treating the world as if it is, that is true, as if other beings don't have meaning, other people don't have value. And, um, and we see that all the time in the world where the people being treated as if they have no value and oftentimes results in mass, mass atrocities and slaughters. And the religious side, well, uh, staying on the atheistic side, there is uh, an abdication of responsibility then, because if you deny that uh, that you have 
that you have value and that everything has value to some degree, then, um, well, you, you won't have any responsibility for those things that have value. You won't have any responsibility to preserve value or to bring new value new values into the world. And on the religious side, um, there is the, the tendency to abdicate responsibility and just leave it up to God. It's like, well, that is beyond my capacity. Um, God's going to take care of that. God will always take care of that. And in a sense, that's true because I believe that um, like the whatever action it is, whatever influence it is that God has on um, on creatures, um, that like the cosmic mind has on the particular minds, that um, that there that that influence will constitute in some way that event, that thing happening. But by phrasing it in such a way, and that like it's phrased in such a way, and it's acted out in such a way that there's an abdication of the responsibility on the part of that you know individual person, their mind, because they won't. They won't have to do it. They won't have to take responsibility for it because it's not their job. But by looking at the world as if we are all um, sparks of the divine, mm-hmm. fractals of the mi- of the divine mind, and uh, that we each have that value within us, well, what do, what are what are some of the implications of that? Well, that means that um, it's not like nothing is ever someone else's responsibility. Of course, they have your resp- their responsibilities. But you have your responsibilities. There are things that, like, you are the center of the universe. You are a center of the universe. And the things that you do matter. And the, so, therefore, the choices that you make matter. And there will be righter and wronger things to do and ways of behaving in the world. And so if, if there's anything in your life that causes you to, to put up the excuse or any kind of excuse to abdicate responsibility, then something's going wrong, like, on those... Uh, um, like pre-conscious at, at the level of like those conscious and pre-conscious beliefs, like we talked about in reference to first sight in previous weeks, that um, there's something fundamentally wrong with the way that you're looking at the world. And remember what uh, two weeks ago, when that other clip from Peterson, what he said, the way that we look in the world, the way that we look at the world and the, the, the way that we act in the world is determined by that hierarchy of values that uh, by those ethical aims that we have. So there's something going wrong on that fundamental level that is skewing our hierarchy of values and aims and causing us to, be- to behave in ways in which we are not fulfilling the, res- the, the, the inherent responsibilities that we have as you know, centers of the cosmos. So um, I think he, he kind of articulated that point really well, that the, one of the functions, one of the responsibilities, one of the features of, um, of consciousness itself, of a soul itself, is the transformation of the existing world into a better world. And so using that system of, an, of you know, thinking analogously, if that is a, like a, a responsibility of us as individual um, souls, then you can probably say that that would be, the, like, that would be the function of the, like, the, the cosmic soul, that it is the it is the transformation of what exists into something better. It is bringing out the the it is bringing out something better from what is given. So what is given to you is just that. What is pre, what is presented to you at every moment? It is the past. It is it is past choices. It is past circumstances. It is whatever exists in your world now. It is where you are at now, for everyone. And the function of consciousness and the function of the soul and the purpose of the soul the purpose of consciousness, is to transform that into something better. It is to bring something new 
into the world, something of value, something of new value into the world, and in, in order to make it better. And that maybe that is kind of, so again, on the mass level, that might be the, the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose is to bring about a new world. And that's, you get, you, I think, it, get going in the direction of like religious language is inescapable here because it's only the religious traditions that have tried to articulate this in various ways. It is a, a new world, the kingdom of God. It is some future state that is better than this state, that is somehow um, like essentially better, uh, like better on some objective level of valuation, that, um, that there is, um, a, there is a, um, a specific but, uh, but variable um, endpoint and pathway to get there to bring about this new thing. Like you can't predict the exact features of like the future world. Um, but it will have certain, let's say, general features that will be expressed in a particular way. You know, just like, just like anything else, just like fashion, for instance. You can imagine the, like, uh, like the, the perfect fashion, the best fashion. You won't, but it, it, you won't be able to necessarily like, predict um, what types of uh, cloth will be used or what exact color schemes, but, but it, like, there's, a, there's a variable path to get to some kind of vague but but um, objective, I don't know how else to say it, some vague but objective endpoint, like goal or aim or um, purpose. So that is like maybe a way of, of stating not only the purpose of the cosmos itself, the, the, the purpose of you know, life and everything, but also of the individual, uh, individual soul, the individual mind on its own level. And that will have very like, real and practical implications. So like he says, um, <clears throat> when he's describing consciousness and like what it seems to him that consciousness is, he describes it as the confrontation of uh, potential and then the bringing into actuality of that potential. Because when you're confronted by potential, you're pr confronted by better and worse options, better like neutral and worse options. If you just do nothing, if you abdicate your responsibility, chances are you'll either go in a neutral direction and just your life will be a, uh, like a monotonous bore or you'll take a turn for the worse and become pure evil. Um, and, and you might even become pure, well, you'll definitely become some kind of evil if you don't see other people as having value, for instance. But by, by looking at your life in such a way that there are potential futures, that there are choices that you make that, w that are important in some way that will have some kind of um, relevance to your life, like now and in the future, that will influence how you're going to make decisions. It'll influence the choices you make with the people around you. It's like, well, you know, this is my family, for instance. These are my friends. How am I, how am I going to keep them? You know, will my actions now um, affect how my relationships will be in five to ten years? Well, of course they will, they are. You ask anyone, they'll be able to say that. But that doesn't mean that they will act as if they actually know that, because people do stupid things all the time. People ruin. Their relationships that they have with others, and you know, looking back on it, they'll say, "Well, you know, geez, I was so stupid. How could I have done such a thing?" Well, it's because, you know, it's it's overly simplistic. But like, your priorities aren't in the right aren't in the right spot. Your hierarchy hierarchy of values isn't crystallized, you know, into a form that would allow you to uh, th that would like bring order to the the to the choices that you make in your life to crystallize your character. 
that's another um uh, i liked that you used that word to describe his description of it like the crystallization of character because it's like um um a crystallization is like an it's an informing of matter it's bringing form into um what was previously formless and so um there is this thing called consciousness that we all have a soul that we all have um like everyone or and, and everything but on top of that it's like well what what kind of soul do you have like what how have you shaped it mm-hmm. um you basically you've got your like generic um you know made in china souls <laughs> sorry if that's sorry if that's offensive but you know you're just a uh, your you know your basic rudimentary soul that you've got to work with which is just your consciousness your confrontation with potential and chaos to create something out of it but then there is something that you actually create and that is your character that's like a, a level above that uh, that basic soul that is that is the thing that you actually form um that has its own shape because uh every choice that you make is a well it's a choice it's a it's that reduction of uncertainty it's 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 a you know one bullseye after another and if you can imagine it's like well what might it be like if that's true and if there are if there are choices at like any given moment or at specific moments in your life you know, specific moments of importance if you make like the best choice at in all of those moments what might the result be well it's certainly you know it doesn't seem to me that it will be a bad thing um it might be bad in certain ways like like in the you know the story of you know someone like jesus right you make all the right choices you're the son of god and then you get uh you know uh, nailed to a cross but even then even in a story like that where um there's tragedy in it the within the tragedy um well out of the tragedy is actually where the uh where the the good comes into the world because according to that like mythology I'll put it and according to that that uh that myth and that archetype it's through that ultimate sacrifice it's through the hardness of the of the process that the greatest good comes out of it that in that in itself is a transformation of evil into uh into good and bringing good into the universe and that that's like that dynamic works on so many levels because in ourselves whenever we um whenever we confront uh, a wrong belief that we have whenever we confront like the wrong beliefs that are that are um influencing us to behave in certain ways um like negatively with the people around us in our own lives and in our um in our careers and just in everything that we do in life when we confront those uh, those lies within ourselves those things that we're getting wrong <clears throat> that in itself is like a death it is a self sacrifice we are we are killing a part of ourselves that has been part of us for a long time that has developed with us over time and that might be like a a negative crystallization like that's a habit that we've developed that isn't in line with that ideal hierarchy that ideal aim um it's something it's like a it's a pathological um crystallization or development of character and it hurts when we confront that first it hurt it hurts just to realize it and to see it and then it hurts to actually change it because that in itself is hard it's hard to establish a new habit and um yeah well that's a, that's another thing that I that I liked about his uh his answer there is that what he ta- what he said about habits and how it is consciousness that builds habits now that that has implications i think all over the place it's like it's consciousness that itself that builds habits the only reason we have habits is because we are minds 
interacting with the world, reacting well, acting in certain ways, um, bringing actuality into the world, uh, or you know, making potential real, making potential actual, thereby developing habits that ha that that happen relatively automatically. Well, what? Where are the end of those habits? Like uh, like Rupert Sheldrake, for instance, calls the laws of nature the habits of nature, and uh, Whitehead said something similarly similar that. Uh, that what we see when we are analyzing the world scientifically, like by observation, we are seeing habits. We are seeing behaviors. We're seeing certain things acting in certain ways. And whenever someone is something, someone or something is acting in a certain way, it's not acting in all those other ways. It's like there's a selection process. So what is the source of that selection? Well, we come back again to this idea of the being the center of the universe. Every every um, from every atom upwards. That everything is a center of the universe. Everything has some sense of direction to it. Everything is embodying some uh, some hierarchy of aims. It's just uh, some are more primitive than others. Like atoms have a very primitive hierarchy of aims. Um, you know, protons only do one thing, and um, but but there's a there's a a similarity at all those levels where the the same basic process is going on, just with different. Uh, Different specifics, like additional more com or more complexity at the higher levels, but um, but on every level, it is consciousness and the um, or mind in the process of encountering potential and bringing one of those options into the real world that creates what we see as habits that that create what we see as the regularities of nature. Not only the regularities of nature, but the regularities of the people around us. We see who they are. They seem to be the same person. They seem to have certain habits. And the the fun, one another one of those functions of consciousness is then to, um, like you guys commented on, and like Peterson said, is to transform that to transform that given reality, that given habit, which may be useful. Like maybe it doesn't need to be transformed, but maybe it does. And maybe something new can be built on top of that habit. Maybe that habit can be used as the like the raw material and the ground, the soil in which to grow a new and better habit. Um, yeah, just thought I'd throw that out there. Well, I just <laughs> wanted to read a, a quote from that Kastrup's book in light of what you just said. Uh, the book that we discussed la on last week's show, uh, The Idea of the World. He says, the entire philosophical system erected in this volume has at its foundation an observation as simple as it is far-reaching. Matter is the outer appearance, appearance of inner experience. This and only this is what matter is. Now, in that context of what you've just said about, you know, if you replace experience with, with multitudes of experience, with habit, with the, the, the kinds of choices that everything can make in the universe... Then you, what you see, uh, you know, whether it's beautiful or it's ugly, or it's you know high or or low, is loath, loathful or you know wonderful, is the result of its inner being. That's what it is. It's experience. It's being. It's its soul. The soul of what of what you see is uh, just the manifest forms of that that mind, that one ultimate mind, and all of the potentials. You have to choose those potentials when you're going through life. That's what your soul does. Is you, it's drawing you to choose one of those potentials um, and to manifest that. Whether you know, and obviously you could cut it down to the binary of you know good and evil. Um, and you know that's what humanity has done. You know for many years, and it's been 
and it still retains its explanatory value because that's that's a good heuristic, I think, for us dumb <laughs> dumb uh, beasts out here is to know that um, you don't be evil. Be mm -hmm. good. <laughs> like don't Google be, says. Yes, like <laughs> Google is right. <laughs> Google was, yes. Listen to this, Google. Listen to Google. Well, um, we're coming on the end of the show here today. There are just a couple of more points uh, that I feel that um, were essential to his, uh, his talk. And um, one was uh, that there is no middle ground. And it reminded me quite a bit of, of Gurdjieff uh, saying, you know, that um, you're sitting on two stools, that you're, you're not actually making the choice. And in here, in making the choice is some amount of risk, as Peterson uh, also says. Um, what does that mean? Uh, I think it means um, imagining uh, choices where we might not even see them out of force of habit. And that would be another way that, uh, that a crystallization, a, a, patho a pathological crystallization that you were uh, talking about, Harrison, might in some way be broken down. Um, if only as it's manifested through apathy or, or the kind of uh, going through the motions of, of life that, um, that aren't conducive to uh, making a choice for others, for... for Growing and and um, and doing things that that might benefit others in ways that aren't uh, immediately recognizable or or don't provide a payoff in the in the kind of immediate you know self gratifying tangential ways that we're we're conditioned and programmed to to get payoffs on certain things. So I thought this. Um, I thought. The idea of no middle ground and, and asking ourselves, because this is really, I, I mean, we could, we could speak till the, the cows come home on, uh, on what we think Peterson is saying and, and why it's important, uh, but it, you really want to make this your own. You really want to um, own it and, and uh, see how what he's saying can be true for oneself uh, in the in the day to day choices that one uh, is faced with or isn't faced with, uh, when was the last time um, you know? And I say this as much to myself as I as I do to to anyone, uh, including you, our beloved audience. Um, how do we, you know, how how do we become more conscious that we do indeed have, uh, or that we are at choice, um, you know? What might we spend this evening doing um, that that might not have an immediate payoff, but that might have a kind of a, a salutary effect for ourselves and for others going into the future? What might we read and assimilate? Um, what might we clean or or build or uh, consider that has been kind of put by the wayside um, in our in our day-to-day -day, uh, rote, uh, mechanical, um, and yes, sometimes nihilistic uh, exercise of, of living as souls. Because um, until you're conscious of how you're nihilistic, until you're conscious of how you're automatic and, and mechanical, and, and kind of shunt away the choices that are available uh, to you on a daily basis, um, 
you know, the choice isn't there uh, to actualize, to potentialize, to, um, to, to help us grow into, into beings that, um, that would fall on a, you know, on this hierarchy of values that we would like to think that we have. Um, so make it your own. Uh, listen to Peterson again, and um, and hopefully uh, something, something, uh, some choice, some some uh, some potentiality, some future uh, path, maybe uh, tread upon and or not tread upon, but walked on and and considered and and um, and lived that um, that somewhere down the road is you know, beneficial to you and, and all you would like to see in the world. Well, we're going to end it pretty quick. I wanted to make just one or two quick points. First, the, I used the word fractal at the beginning of the show. The word I was trying to remember was holographic. Um, it's like so that a consciousness, uh, a mind is like a holograph. Uh, like the, the whole is in the part, essentially, and the part is in the whole. And uh, uh, I guess fractals are probably pretty similar, but uh, I actually had in mind holograph. And the the reason I, I say this will lead to the second point. Um, this goes back to what I was saying about like the religious error about uh, abdicating responsibility by leaving things to uh, into God's hands and like oh well God will take care of that or Jesus will take care of that. Well, it's if this is a true um, uh, like picture of the world, vision of the world, where you are holographically, you know, a miniaturization and like dissociated part of essentially God's mind, then. Anything that you're abdicating responsibility for, like to God, is actually your responsibility. Like all the things that you want other beings to do, like a higher being and other people, well, it's actually, it's your responsibility. That's the part you have to play in this life. That's why you exist is to, to, to transform this world, transform yourself and this world through transforming yourself. So uh, I think we'll, I'll just leave it there and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you.